Good evening, my friends, and welcome back to 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens, that's me, where I'll be your host for a creepy double feature every night in the month of October. Join me, won't you? It is October 20th, my friends, and tonight is After Your Dead Night on 62 Horror Movies, where we're going to watch and talk about two films that explore the human terror of what happens to your body after you die. We're going to start off with Phantasm, released in 1979, written and directed by Don Coscarelli. And then our second feature of the night is the remake of Night of the Living Dead, released in 1990 and directed by horror makeup master Tom Savini. This is going to be fun. So, Phantasm is a movie that I have long had great affection for, and it's really because of my mom, because my mom was a huge, and is a huge fan of the Phantasm series, especially the first one. And I remember when I was very young, walking into the living room as she was watching the very beginning of Phantasm, completely in the dark, and seeing this very creepy-looking haunted house-looking structure, which is actually a mortuary, uh, which is actually pretty scary on its own. And she told me that I had to leave the room uh, because Phantasm is, of course, a movie that's rated R. But I was intrigued, uh, and when I was old enough, I watched Phantasm and deeply fell in love with it and in love with all of its uh, four sequels. And I'll be talking about the franchise in general um, as well as the first movie. So... Thank you, Mom, for introducing me to Phantasm. Phantasm was released in 1979, and 1979 was really a banner year for horror movies. Um, I think that's one thing, one of the reasons why John Carpenter's Halloween is so notable is because it was such a low-budget movie and was so successful at the box office and made such a cultural impact. Uh, 1979 was one of those moments that cycles around throughout history where the film studios realize, oh, people really like these horror movie things. Let's make more of those. Um, so there was an article in Newsweek uh, 1979 where they called it 1979 the summer of horror because 
in theaters in the summer of 1979, you had the film adaptation of the Amityville Horror, which of course was huge, and that's a movie you should watch. It was on this list for a while uh, before I decided to drop it. Uh, in favor of other things, but you should still absolutely watch it. Not the remake, watch the original 1979 Amityville Horror. You also have released in 1979 George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, uh, the first sequel to Night of the Living Dead, um, and some people, and I would maybe agree, is the best installment in the night in the original Night of the Living Dead franchise. You also, in the summer of 1979, you have in theaters uh, the film Alien, which, although it's set in space, really is a horror movie. Alien is a movie, one of the few movies that legitimately terrifies me. It really scares me. And again, um, I wanted to find a way to include Alien in this list of 62 horror movies, and I couldn't, but I'm cheating and talking about it now. Um, and also, in the summer of 1979, you have Phantasm, written and directed by Don Coscarelli. Um, really a labor of love, and you can tell. Um, Phantasm was a movie that cost about $300,000 to make, and it grossed $12 million. And Phantasm was a movie that was made over the course of almost a year, um, because of the cost of film equipment and because both Don Coscarelli, the writer-director, and the actors needed to have day jobs, they only filmed on the weekends for like 20 hours um, a day on the weekends for almost a year, and Phantasm is the movie that resulted from that. And... I think Phantasm, and I'll talk about this more later, but I think it is the best horror movie franchise ever made. I think it is better than the Halloween franchise. It is better than the A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. It is better than the Friday the 13th franchise, as much as I dearly love the Friday the 13th movies, and we'll talk about that uh, in a couple days. But the Phantasm movies, what they have is a continuity. The Phantasm movies, of which there are five films, uh, the first one released in 1979, and the fifth one, the final one, was released in 2016. All of these movies have the same main cast, the same actors who were, in some cases, aging from adolescence or early uh, middle age to old age in 2016, and I think there is no other horror movie franchise where you follow the same characters played by the same actors the entire time. But anyway, I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, so Don Coscarelli's influence for Phantasm it was really to make a 
a horror movie that scared the hell out of people, but he was also really fascinated with the idea of making a movie about how we as human beings, especially Americans, deal with death. Um, And he actually did an interview with the Los Angeles Times in which he said, I had a compunction to try and do something in the horror genre, and I started thinking about how our culture handles death. It's different than in other societies. We have the central figure of a mortician. He dresses in dark clothing. He lurks behind doors. They do procedures on the bodies we don't know about. The whole embalming thing. If you ever do any research on it, it's pretty freaky. It all culminates in this grand funerary service production. It's strange stuff. It just seemed like it would be a great idea in which to make a film. And I think Phantasm really succeeds in hooking into that primal fear of not only death itself, but what happens to our bodies after we die, which in itself can be pretty horrific. So the main haunted house in Phantasm is actually a funeral home, and it's about that fear of what happens after you die, and also about how those who are living, who have lost loved ones, cope with that death and that grief that follows. It's really, really potent stuff. Um, And I think one of the things that makes Phantasm great is that it is so relatable. The characters are so relatable. They're just regular guys. Um, In one case, um, an adolescent child who is grappling with all this for the first time. An adolescent child who has lost his parents is terrified of losing his older brother, the only biological family he has left, um, and also losing the main friend of the family, too. And how you deal with that? So all that aside, that real human emotional stuff aside, Phantasm is a crazy, crazy fucked up horror movie um, in the imagery it represents. And I think Phantasm introduces one of the creepiest villains in horror movie history in the form of the tall man, played by Angus Scrim. And Angus Scrim is incredible in this role. He is so incredibly scary. Um, and he is, um, they think, the funeral director. But then uh, the main character of Michael, the young child played by a Michael Baldwin, um witnesses the tall man doing strange things like lifting a coffin with a body in it by himself um and that encourages him to investigate the mausoleum and 
Like I said, this movie was done on a very low budget. So when you go inside the mausoleum and it's just these endless hallways of the these white marble uh, tombs in the wall, and that was made totally out of basically plywood and contact paper, but it's such a striking visual that you don't question it. Um, and it's one that has been imitated many times since. Uh, there, It shows up in American Horror Story Asylum in a later episode, basically a recreation of the Phantasm Mausoleum. Uh, oh, it, it it's just so good. Um, and a huge part of the Phantasm series is the idea of not knowing what is a dream and what is reality and how you are never sure which is which. And all five of the Phantasm films do a tremendously great job of keeping you on your toes, of wondering what is real and what is not. It's just a great through line in all of the movies. Um... Phantasm is also famous for its balls. And by balls, I mean these silver spheres that haunt the mausoleum. And when they find a human in the mausoleum, these silver spheres suddenly um, have spikes that come out of them. And they... Uh, go into the victim's forehead, and then there's a drill that drills out brains and blood. And again, low-budget movie, this is all practical effects. There's no CGI here in the first Phantasm in 1979. Um, So it's a really extraordinary, really terrifying image. You also have in the first Phantasm these mysterious creatures um, that are these almost dwarf-like creatures in these brown monk robes that are roaming around um, which are and make these weird creepy sounds Um, there's just so much uh, great stuff in phantasm Um, and again you're never sure what's real and what's not And Phantasm, like I think a couple other films I've talked about on this podcast, really elevates itself to the level of nightmare, Um, like Suspiria, like The Company of Wolves, where it's like a dream you had, and that's exactly the point. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about the main cast of of Phantasm and its subsequent sequels. As I mentioned, you have A. Michael Baldwin as Mike, who in the original Phantasm is like a 14-year-old boy. You have Bill Thornberry as Jody, Mike's older brother. Angus Scrim as the tall man who I spoke about. And you also have Reggie Bannister playing the character of Reggie, who's an ice cream man and a guitar player musician, because it's the 70s after all. Um, These are the core characters, the core actors, that go through all five of the Phantasm films. 
Um, Phantasm II was released in 1988, and it was actually the only big-budget installment in this series. Uh, it was distributed by Universal Pictures. Um, then you have Phantasm III, Lord of the Dead, um, which was made for TV in uh, 1991. You have the fourth film, Phantasm Oblivion, released in 1998. And finally, you have the final film in the series, Phantasm Ravager, in 2016. All of these films with the same actors. Um, Phantasm Ravager, in particular, has virtually every single actor that ever appear in a major role in this film series. They all come back, um, and it's really, really great. Um... So the Phantasm series has, I think, a really terrific mythology that is revealed in pieces over the course of the five movies. You know, just what the character of the tall man is doing. Uh, and Phantasm Ravager, the final film, I think... It gets a little bit of a bad rap. It's got really bad reviews, but I actually really loved it um, because you have seen these same actors play these same characters in this crazy, scary, fictional world for, you know, almost 40 years at this point. It's surprisingly emotional in a lot of ways. Like, the final Phantasm film actually made me cry, which was not something I was expecting from it. But that's one of the reasons why I think it is the best horror film franchise that has ever been made, um, written and directed with a singular vision by Don Coscarelli. I don't want to say too much more because I don't want to spoil all the twists and turns and all the spooky riches that Phantasm has. Um, but I do want to, I do want to say, I think a huge part of why, another huge part of why Phantasm is successful is that it, it's music, which like John Carpenter with Halloween, the music for Phantasm was written by Don Coscarelli. And I'm going to put that on while I finish up. So this is the Phantasm music composed by writer-director Don Coscarelli. Um, the other thing I want to say about Phantasm is that if you want to watch these movies, here is a great way I would suggest. Again, if you've been listening this long and you're a horror fan, please subscribe to Shudder. Um, it's like $5.99 a month, so worth it. But horror host Joe Bob Briggs actually did a Christmas special uh, about two years back where he hosted Phantasm, Phantasm 3, Phantasm 4, and Phantasm 5. They couldn't get Phantasm 2 because that's owned by Universal and they're pretty strict with it. Um, but he has... So much great trivia to say about these movies, much more than I could fit into this episode. And he also does another very important thing in talking about Phantasm, and that 
he in asks if you're in a Texas state or a Colorado state, suggesting that an altered state of mind in whichever way is legal where you live goes a long way to increasing your enjoyment of the Phantasm series, but it is certainly not required, but it is a nice addition. Sorry, Mom, if you're listening. So, watch Phantasm, my friends, on Shudder, uh, either with or without Joe Bodberg's commentary, but I encourage you to watch it with. And then we'll come back for our second feature in our After You Die night. These are the opening credits of the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead, directed by Tom Savini. They're coming to get you, Barbara. So I'm going to say something very controversial, and that is that I like the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead better than the original 1968 classic. And I'll tell you why. Um, But first, I'm going to talk about how the remake of Night of the Living Dead came to be. So, the original Night of the Living Dead... Uh, directed by George A. Romero and written by George A. Romero and John Russo, went through a lot of different titles. Uh, First, it was called Night of the Anubis and then Night of the Flesh Eaters, but at the last minute, it was changed to Night of the Living Dead. And really, tragically, they did not register the film in copyright with the title Night of the Living Dead, which resulted in the fact that as soon as this classic horror movie was released, Night of the Living Dead was in the public domain in which it remains today. So the creators of this movie, with as hugely successful as it was, never received the money they deserved from what they had created. So they decided eventually, after many, many years and many legal battles, to make, to do a remake of Night of the Living Dead. And both uh, original director and co-writer George A. Romero and co-writer John Russo collaborated on the screenplay for this film, this remake. But it was directed by Tom Savini. Tom Savini is really one of the greatest 
horror makeup artist in history, and uh, he'll be mentioned again a couple times, uh, especially when we talk about Friday the 13th uh, a couple days from now. But Tom Savini, uh, and there's a documentary about him actually on Shudder that is worth watching, but he was a veteran of the Vietnam War where he saw combat and saw a lot of people killed. So when he came out of the war and back to civilian life and became a horror makeup artist, he used what he had seen in the art he created. Um, his gore makeup is incredibly realistic because he had seen the real thing, and so he knew what looked real and what did not. Um, so it's great that he was chosen to direct this remake of Night of the Living Dead. He was actually supposed to do the special effects and makeup for the original film, but wasn't able to at the time, so he jumped at the opportunity to direct the remake. Um, but the problem was he experienced a lot of studio interference when he made his version of Night of the Living Dead, and sadly later said that uh, the film that we have that was released in 1990 is about 40% of the conception of what he originally wanted to do, and I think that's tremendously sad, but I think it is also a really incredible achievement that this remake of 1990 is as successful and as powerful as it is. And here's why I like the remake of Night of the Living Dead better than the original, although the original is absolutely a must-watch, and if you've never seen it, watch it first and then watch this version. Uh, but in the original Night of the Living Dead, the main uh, female character in the movie, Barbara, after her initial shock in the beginning of the film, kind of becomes catatonic and sort of useless, which I, I'm not discounting the importance of what the original Night of the Living Dead did in that it offered Dwayne Jones, who played the lead role. Dwayne Jones was a black man, and he is the hero of Night of the Living Dead, the one who takes action and the original Night of the Living Dead is a really fascinating commentary on race in the United States at that time. And also um, references the Vietnam War in a way. But the thing I like very much about the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead is that Barbara, after her initial shock, does not remain catatonic for the entire movie. She eventually wakes like wakes up and comes to herself and from becoming a very from being a very timid woman becomes evolves into this sort of uh, Rambo figure. And in the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead, the characters of 
uh, Ben, played by the great Tony Todd, also known for Candyman, which is a movie that if I do this again next year, I will absolutely include. Uh, so you have Tony Todd as as Ben in the remake, um, inheriting the role originally played by Dwayne Jones. But you have Patricia Tallman in the remake as Barbara, and she's such a phenomenal actor. And... In the remake, the characters of Ben and Barbara are much more of a team. They are equals. They are the two people who are fighting against this mysterious undead horror. Um, and the thing that I also think is so effective about the remake of Night of the Living Dead is that... It takes the scares from the original movie, which, if, you, if you're watching the remake, you've probably seen the original. Uh, it takes the scares from the original, lets them happen, and then a bigger scare happens after that. It trumps your expectations. It takes you by surprise. And I think the zombies in the remake of Night of the Living Dead, also are immensely superior to the zombies you see in the original, uh, chiefly due to Tom Savini's both direction and his special effects and makeup. Like, you're not seeing just, oh, these are people who look kind of odd in regular clothes. No, these are reanimated corpses who have been autopsied and you see the sewed up Y incision scars on their bodies almost naked at some points. They're truly grotesque and horrifying to behold and I think it's so much better than the zombies you get in the original. Um, I just... Highly, highly recommend it. Um, and the ending of the remake of the 1990 Night of the Living Dead, I think, is tremendously effective. And, again, does a twist on the great ending from the original in a way that feels absolutely earned and true to the racial subtext of the original movie in a very powerful way for the time on 1990 that this was made. And the end credits with these piles of bodies really do evoke the horror of war, you know, the man's inhumanity to man. I think the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead is a fantastic movie. Um, while the original is a classic for a reason and indelible, I think this movie is even more effective in what it sets out to do. And uh, I think I first saw the remake of Night of the Living Dead actually on Monster Vision, uh, on TNT with Joe Bob Briggs back in the late 90s, and I vividly remember showing it to my sister uh, when she was about eight years old, and it scared her to death, and she had nightmares about it for years. Um, 
And I also showed my sister the Rocky Horror Picture Show around the same time when she was about eight years old. Um, I'm very proud of those things, even though uh, Night of, of the Living Dead may have given her nightmares. But maybe it'll give you nightmares too, and I recommend that you seek it out. So watch Night of the Living Dead 1990, and we'll come back and we'll close out the night. My friends, thank you once again for joining me for 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens. That's me. Tomorrow night is Stephen King night. We're going to watch Salem's Lot from 1979, directed by Toby Hooper. And then The Shining from 1980, directed by Stanley Kubrick. Join me tomorrow night, and once again, Happy Halloween!